Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. I can see it in your eyes. You're looking at me and you're thinking, where's Ben? I thought... And who is this child who you have placed in front of me? Well, behold, it is I. I am actually me. I am Ben. Uh, it's been great coming today and, and having people welcome me as a first-timer and asking me how, how I found my way to church. And that's been great to feel really loved and welcomed by you guys in that way. Um, today, believe it or not, is kind of my birthday. Or maybe not my birthday. It's not my real birthday. That's on October the 13th, if you're taking notes. Today's my church birthday because this time 12 months ago I was standing here and one of the elders was praying for me as I started a new season, a new chapter in my life and I stepped into the role of Kingsway team leader and as a church, uh, those of you who are part of Kingsway, we, we started this new season together and this week I was sitting down with my old boss and we were having lunch together and he asked me in 12 months of leading a church, what's, what's your biggest lesson? What's the biggest thing that you'd learnt? I was like, I didn't expect it to be that deep. Um, I, I didn't know what to say. I, like, he, he caught me by surprise, but I've been thinking about it ever since. And today, I want to share that lesson with you. That's what I want to talk about it. I want to give you the, the biggest thing that I've learnt in the last 12 months and, and hope that it's as helpful for you as it has been, or hopefully will continue to be, in my life. And it's simply this. If you've got a short attention span, I'll give it to you right up front, and then you can start daydreaming, whatever you do on a Sunday morning. But I want you to get this. This is so important, and it's, it's really the same as what we just heard on that video. What I've learned is that in the trials of life, in the difficult things that happen when, when the world hits you hard, it's your connections that make the difference. The way that you're connected and what you're connected to will define how far you go in life. That's the biggest lesson I've learned all year. This year for me has been one of the happiest years of my life in so many ways. I've absolutely loved this job. I've loved this role. You know, my, my story was that I did, I, I threw away so much in my life. Like I was, I was working with a vengeance to destroy myself, it seemed. You know, I, I went off, I did the whole drug, sex, rock and roll. I, I was going crazy and I just found myself empty and empty and empty. And it was like I was trying to find connections to fill that emptiness and I couldn't. And then I found Jesus and it changed everything. And so for me to be in a job where I get to talk about that every single day is like incredible. For me to be in a job where I get to equip you guys to talk about that every single day is incredible. It's the best thing I could be doing. There's only one job that is this job and it's mine and you cannot have it because I love it too much. This has been an incredible year. But it's also been one of the hardest years of my life. I don't think I expected it to be as difficult as it was. I don't think I expected to feel as disconnected as I have done. I don't think I felt lonelier at any time in my life than I did this year. This has been a tough year. And time after time, I felt things just come against me. I felt people feel like they've got permission to say things about my facial hair or lack of facial hair. They, I didn't know they had that permission to speak into my life in those ways. 
Do you know, like, I, I've seen people this year go through the worst things. I've, I've, I've seen people have cancer. I've seen people lose people who are close to them. I've, I've seen the worst kind of, of loss and pain in the church this year. And every single time it's hurt me. And I've felt the weight of it. And it's been painful. It's been a painful year for me. I read in the Bible, I've read this so many times this year, James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, trials. I just want to smack that guy in the face. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Consider it pure joy. No, let's not consider it pure joy because it's not. It's rubbish. I want to say what it is, but I can't because we have to not say those things in church for some reason. But it's not pure joy. You know, so many times people step into this new season in their life. They step into this new big thing that they're pursuing God with a vengeance. Or maybe they just become a Christian and they're like, this is it, I'm following God. Everything is going to be amazing from here on out. And all of a sudden they're hit with some of the worst circumstances they've ever seen. And they start asking, why? Why? And we shouldn't be surprised. Because when you're giving everything for God, all of a sudden you're becoming a threat to the devil. All of a sudden you're becoming dangerous. So when we push forward, when we pursue God in this way, we should expect to come up against something. I remember Jeff Lett saying, if you've got a million pound vision, don't expect 50 pence problems. If you want God to do the biggest things in your life, expect to come up against some hurdles. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that those hurdles are going to hold you back. I'm saying God's bigger than any of them. But I'm saying don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. The Bible starts and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he created man. And he looked at man and he says, It is not good for man to be alone. So he created a perfect partner. And he placed them in this garden. And this garden becomes this incredible image of God and humans in connection. We were created for community. We were created for meaningful relationships. We were created to be close to God. But what I found in life is, is when those, those hurdles come, when the struggles have arrived, the first thing I do is pull back from God. The second thing I do is pull back from my friends and my community and I distance myself and I get alone and I just start wallowing. You know, in life, trials come in different ways. Sometimes it's just like a baseball bat and it smashes you hard and you don't see it coming and it hits you and it just knocks you for six. And other times, it's more like, it's more like a rolling dark fog which just creeps into your world. And, and you maybe can't even pinpoint when it arrived, but you wake up one day, you just, you just feel empty. And you just feel tired. We've been reading this book called Ephesians. And the author is the first Christian missionary, a guy called Paul. And he's writing to an early church. It's just, just a lot like ours. And he's writing to these, these Christians and and they're experiencing these same things. This isn't a new issue. This is something that's gone on for years. He, they're experiencing those same disconnects. And he's seen them and he knows that they're being pulled to the left and to the right. He knows that life is battles. He knows that people are saying things to them. 
And it's causing them to doubt and not know which way to go and which way is true and which way isn't. And, and he can see them. They're like a, a tree in the wind and, and they're blowing all over the place. And he wants to make sure that they've got their roots connected right. That they've got the things that they're connected to correct. And so he writes them this letter. It's a letter we've been going through for the last three weeks. If you've been with us, you'll know that it's a letter of two halves. The first half is all about how we're saved. The second half is what we do now we're saved. The first half is doctrine. The second half is, is behaviour. You know, it's, it's what we believe and then it's what we do. That's, that's how he's divided this letter up. And that's, he's done that really, really intentionally because it's important for us to realise that what you believe affects everything that you do. That every action that you have in life somehow, somewhere comes from a belief. And in fact, you can look at somebody, you can see the way they believe, the way that they act, and it will tell you something about some of their deepest beliefs. So Paul starts by wanting to make sure that their beliefs are right. So that when he tells them what they need to do, they will know how to do it because of what they believe. Does that make sense? You get this. So he starts off, he says, he says before the world was created, before anything happened, before he did anything else, Paul tells this church, he says, God was sitting. He doesn't say sitting. He says, God was there. He says, God was looking forward and he was looking at you. And he was making plans for your life. Plans that you would be holy and whole. He says, he says, we've all felt that disconnect. And he says, and there's nothing that we can do on our own. And he, and he says that for years and years, people have tried to find that connection in different ways. And we've tried to fill ourselves but ultimately, we couldn't do it. And God saw this. And he says, God saw this. And so he stepped first. He chose you before you chose him. He came to you and he saved you. He took the initiative. He didn't wait. But he stepped into your life. He says, there's nothing that you did that deserved it. There's nothing that you could do that could achieve it. That this was just a perfect gift of grace. And so it doesn't matter how brilliant we are. It doesn't matter what we know, it matters who we know. It doesn't matter how intelligent we are, it matters how available we are. It matters what our priorities are. And if we get our beliefs right, if we understand the depths of God's love for us, then when he starts asking us to do things, we'll understand why and how we would choose to do those things. So this is the context that Paul is writing in. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll find it on your phones or iPads or Bible, if you're old school like me. Um, we're going to jump in, verse 1 of chapter 4. And he speaks to this church in Ephesus. He says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Like he's saying, you know, I'm not talking to you from the life of luxury. I'm not talking to you as one who's got it sorted. He's straight away saying, you know, I, I struffle as well. I struggle as well. I'm a prisoner. A prisoner for serving the Lord. I beg you, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. The actual word he uses in the Greek is like, it's like walk, walk the walk. This is really practical. It's like walk the walk. If you say you believe this stuff, if you do believe it, walk the walk. Make your actions mirror your beliefs. Walk the walk. Verse 2 Always be humble and gentle. 
Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What an incredible passage. I'd like to do a little bit of a Bible study thing with you today. I want to teach you something that is is really, really subtle, and I don't think you would see it if you weren't told about it, but it's profound. You see, have you ever written an email or sent a text message to somebody and they've completely misunderstood what you were trying to say? Hands up if you've ever done that. Now imagine writing a letter in a language where there was no punctuation. Challenging, right? I've got some examples of how this goes down. I call it when grammar goes wrong. I'm going to put them on the screen. Let's eat grammar. (laughs) Might go to prison for that. Or let's eat grammar. How about the next one? Attention, toilet only for disabled, elderly and pregnant children. (laughs) Bit of a niche market for that toilet. Finally, I like cooking my family and my pets. Use commas, don't be a psycho. (laughs) I like cooking, my family and my pets. Grammar is dangerous. And so if you're writing in a language like Greek and there actually is no grammar, this is a recipe for disaster. You could go to prison if you sent that email. And so what they did is they created literary devices to make sure that people understood exactly what they were trying to do. And one of these devices is called an inclusio. Say inclusio. 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 So an inclusio is when you start or end, start and end a section with the same word or the same idea or the same phrase. And it's all through the New Testament they use this in different ways. And it's hard for us to spot this because we don't read much Greek. I certainly read no Greek. 
but it's, it's a real thing and it's, it's in the Gospels and it's all the way through Paul's letters. He uses inclusios to make sure that your focus is right and he's using one here. I'm going to show you what the inclusio is. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle because be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And he finishes it with verse 16, as each, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. To say it's subtle in English is an understatement. But in Greek, the readers, they would have picked this up. They would have seen this because this was a common way of writing. And what Paul was trying to say, what he was saying to this church isn't be united. Really spend your time pulling yourself together. It wasn't you need to be so, so patient. You need to be more and more humble. What he was saying is, you will only ever understand what it means to be united, what it means to be patient, what it means to give your life as a gift for the benefit of others when you understand what it means to make love your inclusio. And you know, love is something we misunderstand so much. I was blessed to be at my brother-in-law's wedding about a month ago and he asked me to speak. And I remember looking at him and his wife and thinking, you guys are a beautiful couple. You know, you're lovely people. And it's easy to love lovely people and lovely things. You know, there's things in life that have this inherent value, don't they? They're, they're just there and, and you can't help not loving them. An incredible sunrise, the face of your child, it's like it's hard to not love some things. You know, some things are loved because they're just so valuable. That's not the word Paul is using here. That's not the love that he is describing. He's talking about a different kind of love. You know, some things in life are loved because they're valued. Other things are valuable because they're loved. There's this type of love that doesn't look for value in the, in the object of its affection, but creates value. And this is what he's talking about. I've got a really good picture of this. On the screen behind me is my son's teddy bear. I don't know where we got this toy. Uh, it just turned up one day. It could have been someone else. We may have found it on the floor. I don't know. But this is his favourite toy. This is, a, this is his object of affection. It doesn't do anything good. It doesn't make any noises. You can't swap its arms for Wolverine's claws and, and attack things. It is a rubbish toy. And it smells. It's skanky. And I've, I've paid so much for good toys. And this is the thing that he is always once with him. This is the toy that I'm scared about forgetting when we go on holiday. Because for some reason, he's chosen to fall in love with this bear. And now is priceless. And praise God. <laughs> praise God. No, genuine praise God. Because this is how God loves us. This is how God loves us. You know? The Bible says that God didn't wait for us to be brilliant. He didn't wait for us to know it all. He didn't wait for us to not be skanky and stinky. He came first. We're not loved because we're valuable. We're valuable because we're loved. This is why Paul spends three chapters talking about belief. He needs them to know this. You know, the Bible says that God is so obsessed, God is so passionate, God is so in love with you 
that he would send his son to die so that you can have eternal life. He doesn't send his son to die because you're worth it. He sends his son to die because he loves you that much. And the incredible thing in the Bible, Jesus turns around to us and he says, as I have loved you, now go and love others. As I have loved you, now go and love others. This isn't just a love that we receive. This is a love we're supposed to give. This is supposed to be the way that we treat each other. I think there's so many times in life when we fall into the trap of loving what's valuable. You know, your greatest legacy is never going to be how you love easy things. It's going to be the value that you bring by loving the hardest. So when Paul is writing to this church, he's not saying try harder. He's not saying get down and be so humble that it's difficult, it's hard. He's saying in the way that God loves you, love each other. I want to visualize this for you. I'm going to ask Sarah to come and stand over here. I think... So often, I'm going to move my Bible. So often, it's like this is like a picture of our lives. Sometimes the glass is half full, sometimes it's half empty. We're not going into that. The point is, there's times when we feel empty, all of us. I'm trying to fill ourselves. The best way I can show it would be like Sarah trying to fill that glass with this water pistol. And it's hard work, and be careful of microphones. And it's hard work, and it feels like it's out of reach, and you, you try and you do everything you can. I don't know how your, your techniques are. I will just go and get a guitar, and I play, and I play, I play, and I'll be like, I'm still not filled that hole. You know, I've spent life, we chase after things, we get distracted on Facebook, we, we go to the shops and we spend money we don't have because we're feeling this hole, and we need to be distracted. And this isn't a thing that only happens on your own. You can be in a crowd of 500 and you can be next to each other (laughs) trying to fill your glasses and getting nowhere. How many times do we feel lonely and and empty in a crowd of people? And do you know what really good wisdom would say? Is that you should then connect with each other and I should say, Sarah, I'm going to fill your glass and you're going to fill mine. And this is brilliant now because there's a little bit of water in there now and it's getting better. This is a picture of community. This is in fact what psychologists would tell you to do. They've done so many studies and they said that your worst addictions, your worst habits are all about making the wrong bonds. That the cure for addiction isn't just willpower, it's positive, healthy community. And they'll tell you to do this. And so what ends up happening often is we make this our focus. And I'm now completely focused on Sarah and she's focused on me, except when I'm distracted and I want to go over here. And then all of a sudden, Sarah's cup isn't being filled anymore. And she's suddenly vulnerable. Or maybe I didn't like the way she just filled me. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fill you anymore because I've had enough of the way you're trying to fill me. I like it at this angle. That's how my cup overflows. That's better. 
And then, and then maybe Adam wants to come and join him, but I'm so focused on Sarah's cup and her mind, we've got our thing going on. Like, Adam, you work yourself out, mate. We've got a system. And what we need is an entire paradigm shift. Because this just doesn't work in the long run. Now imagine, imagine I found a hose and I put a hose in my cup. How would that change the way that I play the game? How would that change my action? I'm no longer relying on Sarah to be my source. The hose has become my source. Now I can fill up anybody I want to. I can look at all these other people with empty cups and say, have some of this. Thank you, Sarah. What I'm trying to explain, what I'm trying to show you is that if there was a hose that filled up your cup, you could go into any situation. Life could throw anything at you. It doesn't matter how many times that cup was emptied. It would always be refilled. Again and again and again. I heard a story um, earlier this year, uh, and a man was talking about his two sons, and he said that one of his sons got really sick, and in his sickness he got delusional, and, and he started to believe that his food was poisoned, and it didn't matter what they told him, he had this belief, he was like, you're poisoning my food, and he, and he started to distrust his father, and the father didn't know what to do, because he couldn't get his son to eat and he was watching his son get weaker and weaker and weaker. And so he looked at his healthy son and it came to dinner time and he, he laid that son's plate up with more food than he could possibly eat. He put so much on it with the hope that by giving that son all of the food, some of it might end up on the plate of the hungry son. That somehow that brother might pass some across. And what happened, he said, was that the brother ate up all of the food he was like, loving this. And he ate it. And at the end of the meal, he was like, what's for dessert, dad? And the dad was like, oh, what do I do? So he thought, I know. I'm going to give him more dessert than he could possibly eat. So that some of that dessert is going to make its way onto his brother's plate. What if, what if God has filled you so much not for your own benefit, but because there's people around you who are hungry. What if that stagnant you feeling you get is coming because you've not poured out what God has poured in into somebody else? God is like a hose. There's no hose pipe ban in the kingdom of God. It keeps on coming time and time and time again. That's why he's got three chapters. He's like, this is the most important thing for you to get so you know what to do. Is that God is going to keep on refilling you. He's looking at this church. He's like, I see in you a church who are going to conquer mountains that people have only dreamed of climbing before. I see a church who are going to break ground. A church who's going to transform a city and you need to know where your help comes from. In the Bible, David says, my cup 
overflows. If your cup overflows, give it away. Give it away. There was a family. And this family was in a mess. I've told this story before in the evening service. And it's just been one of those stories that shaped the way that I think about so much. This, this family that, that everything was falling apart. You know, the, the mum and the dad, they were arguing all the time. Uh, the, the D word, divorce, had started to be spoken. Things weren't going easy. Uh, the loveliness had, had dried up a little bit. The kids weren't doing so well either. The son, he was locking himself away in his bedroom, playing World of Warcraft all night, all morning, disconnected from the family. Uh, the daughter had started dating that guy. You know that guy? The one that you never ever want your daughter to date. That guy who you wish that the British government would allow us shotguns so that you could really threaten him with a little bit of integrity. That guy. And, and the dad was like, what is happening to my family? It's falling apart. And he was like, this is a mess. And he was speaking to his pastor. And the pastor said, your problem is a problem of story. You've given your family the wrong story. Your focus is all in the wrong direction. And so his dad went home and he thought about this. And he went online and he did some research and he found these kids in Brazil. And I don't know how or why, but he worked out that in six months, this little community of kids would all be dead. They were orphaned, they had no family, they had no one to support them. And six months was their life expectancy unless somehow they would build an orphanage. And he's in debt. The family isn't doing well. And he, he, he brings them together and he sits them down and he says, look, I know this is hard. But let's put our problems in perspective, right? These kids are going to die in six months. What if we could do something for them? And the family, like, they got it. They got it. And they started, they started fundraising and they started thinking of ideas and they started organizing things. You know, the daughter, the one that was a super socialite, she went to school and she was like, we're going to organize a massive fundraiser, do a party, get everyone together. We're going to raise that money that they need. The son got onto the internet and he started creating web pages and Facebook stuff and whatever people who do good stuff on the internet would do in that situation. He was on it like in an IT sense. And the husband and the wife, they suddenly found themselves connecting again in a way that they hadn't ever before. As they started to look beyond themselves and their own glasses and they started to think about all the glasses that were empty, all of a sudden, they found their glasses feeling a little bit more full again. Six months later, the family, radically different. The son has connected back in again. The daughter said, I don't even know what I saw in that loser anyway. Like the family had become a family. We talk a lot about unity in the church. Unity doesn't come from focusing on unity. Unity doesn't come by us saying we have to agree on everything. We all have to be on the same page. It comes when we make God our source. And love our inclusio. I'm going to ask the band to come up. But I want to finish um, by praying for people, really. 
I don't know how you're feeling today. I don't know what the whirlwind that's going on in your life is. I don't know whether your glass is feeling right up the top or whether you're, you're feeling dry and barren. But I do know that there is a fountain that never ends. That there is a hose and you can come back to that hose time and time and time again. And if you're here and you just want to be filled again, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up in a moment and I'm going to pray for you. I'm also aware that like, none of this makes sense. None of this works if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know what Jesus did for you, it's like, it's like trying to fill each other up or trying to fill yourself up. It, it gets tiring and it's frustrating and it's, it, it doesn't work. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to say, I, I, want, to, I want to put my glass under that hose. I, I, want, to, I want to give this a chance. I, I want to say, I do believe. And I might not have it all sorted out. But I want to make a decision today to change. And I believe in, in Jesus. The book of Romans, another book by the same author as this book we've been talking about. In there he says, if you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth, you're saved. So I just want to pray for everybody. I want to pray if you're being filled for the first time that God will fill you. I want to pray if you're just feeling empty and you want God to fill you again today. So can we close our eyes? Lord God, you promise us many things in the Bible, but you don't promise us that we'll be free from suffering or hurt or pain. You don't promise us that there aren't going to be hurricanes, but you do promise us that somehow you will be in the middle of them with us. Lord, you don't promise us that it won't sometimes feel like we're empty, but you do promise us that every time we come to you, you'll fill us anew. Lord, I pray for every single person here today who feels that hole, who feels that emptiness, that you will fill them anew. Lord, it all starts from the inside out. And I pray that inside of us you will do a work today. And Lord, I pray that you won't let us leave here and not know how to make love an inclusio. But that we will be marked as a community, as a people of love. God, I want to pray for the people here today who for the very first time saying, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to believe. And I want my life to change in light of that belief because I've, I've realized that there's something more. I want to pray for them, that you will strengthen them, that you will fill them. And I want to pray that whatever happens this week, that if they step forward and, and they get something hard, that you will be right there with them that you will carry them through, that they will connect with us as a community and we will help, help point people back to the hose. I thank you, Father, that there are no hosepipe bands. Your love never runs out. 
in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.